0: Good morning church, good morning, good morning, as we are all coming and welcoming each other into the room, I just wanted to chat to you for a moment about the worship songs that we're going to be engaging with God today, and they are centered around the joy of the Lord, and we've talked about this before, the joy of the Lord is such a beautiful gift that we can access in all and any season. So it's not quite happiness, it actually supersedes happiness, because we can have joy, we can access the joy of the Lord when we are in the midst of deep sorrow, and it just takes that one little extra moment of disconnecting ourselves from the moment and accessing the true moment in Jesus Christ. And so I hope that you will... Place that before yourself this morning as we worship the Lord and know that no matter what we're going through, it can be the deepest of deeps. It can be the narrowest of narrows, the widest of wise, the highest of highs, and his joy is still accessible to us because he has made himself accessible to us, and we praise him for that. So we're going to begin strong this morning with a very joyous song. So if you would stand, if you could stand, please do so. Get ready to clap your hands and bring a joyful, joyful, joyful noise unto the Lord. We will not be shaken.
1: We will not be shaken. No, we will not be moved. Lord is beside us.
2: With Him we cannot
1: lose. Though shadows surround us, us. we're not going to fear. We, we will, will fear, fear no evil. evil. Why? Because we trust in the Lord with the hearts and in your joy we will dwell forever. Yeah. And though the night may seem yeah. really Joy Joy is coming, coming, coming coming, coming in the morning. Oh, praise praise to King Jesus. Jesus. I know know joy is coming. Yes, joy is coming. You can clap. Sing it again. We will not be shaken. No, no, we We will will not be moved. The Lord is beside us And with Him we cannot lose All the shadows surround us We will fear no evil We're trust in the Lord with our hearts And in your joy we will dwell forever and Though the night may seem red, joy is coming coming coming, 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 in, coming in, in the morning oh praise to king jesus i know joy is coming through oh, oh, the night, night makes me wait joy, joy is coming 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 in, in the morning oh praise to you. jesus i know joy is coming yes joy, joy is coming, coming. bring our joy to life we won't submit to sorrow for joy is coming in the morning in the morning in the morning your light can drown out darkness and bring our joy to life we won't submit to sorrow for joy is coming in the morning Yay! Yeah! in the morning Can join our darkness and bring our joy to life We won't submit to sorrow, and joy is coming in the morning. Hey, hey, hey. In the hey, In the morning, oh praise, praise to King Jesus. Christ. I know joy is coming. Oh, the night makes Joy is coming, coming, coming. In the morning, oh praise to King Jesus. I know joy is coming. Yes, joy is coming. Our joy is coming in the morning. Hey, it's coming in, in the morning. You're can drown our lives and bring our joy to life. We will submit to sorrow. Our joy is coming in the morning. Hey, 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 hey. in the morning. We won't submit to sorrow, our Our joy joy is is coming coming in the morning Praise God, in In the morning Know that we can drown our darkness darkness and bring our joy to life We won't submit to sorrow, our joy is coming in the morning In the morning though the night may seem weary joy is coming 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 coming, coming in the morning oh praise to king jesus
2: for i know joy is coming yes joy is
1: coming Knows my name, God, the beginning and the end. God, right there in the midst of, enjoy. This is the joy, of all. The joy. This is the joy of joy. This is the joy of. Do What is it?
3: of praise, our, our prayer to you today, that you, you are our strength. We don't look to our circumstances. We don't we don't look to our situation. We don't look to our socioeconomic situation, Father. We look to you. You are our strength. You are our God. You are our God. You are our bedrock. You are our fortress, Lord God. You are our mighty stronghold that stands in the midst of the battles of life. Daddy, there's not one giant, one foe, one weapon formed against us that shall prosper Because of the blood of Jesus. Here we stand before you. Jesus, we trust you. We trust you. We trust you. There's so many things that we can say, Daddy, we can't. That we can say we tried. That we can say we did our best at. But Father, today we surrender all those things to you because what is impossible for humanity is possible for our King because you're the King of kings and Lord of lords. You have majesty over all of it. You are all powerful today. Come and move in the midst. Move in our hearts. Move in our lives. We've come to give you praise. We've come to give you adoration. We've come to say thank you in the midst of who you are. Because Jesus, the one thing that we know in this room is that we're not, but you are. We're not, but you are. You are good, you are holy, you are pure, you are love, you are grace, you are mercy, you are faithful, Lord God. Even when we're faithless, you still show up. You showed up today, Lord God. Because where two or more are gathered, you showed up in this room, ready to move, ready to break chains, ready to set the captive free, ready to actually liberate those who have faced injustice. We give you glory, we give you honor, we give you power, we give you praise. Today. Hear the prayer of our hearts. Daddy, let the joy of the Lord be our strength. Your joy. Your joy. Come and fill this room, Holy Spirit. Do what only you can do. Break bondages. Heal sicknesses. Bring deliverance from addictions. Shine light into those hidden places, Lord God, that we keep in closets. turn the darkness into light what we are powerless to do by our works you do by your grace we give you the glory we give you the honor and we give you the praise and we know nothing's impossible with you so together daddy we pray let your kingdom come let your will be done in our lives and in this church in our city, in our families, in our nation, in our world, as it is in heaven. And together, in faith, we say amen and amen. Come on, let's give God a little bit of glory today for the goodness of our God in the land of the living God. You're worthy. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Margo, I love that. You know, there's something about the joy of the Lord. Notice it didn't say the happiness of humanity. It did not even say the change in my circumstance. It did not say the breakthrough to my blessing gives me strength. It's the joy in knowing our God. It's the joy, just the joy in knowing Him. That's all. It's not even the joy knowing He'll do something. It's not the joy knowing He's good. It's not even the joy knowing He's a healer. The joy knowing He's a blesser, knowing that He can, he can bring, bring. It's not even the joy of knowing all that. It's the joy of knowing Him. Our God is worthy of our joy because he's worthy. Today, re- can I really encourage you? I know life is crazy. I get it. <laughs> I Trust me, I get it. But maybe for the next 45 minutes or so, we can just take our eyes off of our own situation just for a little bit. Not saying our situation is not important because he sees it. But maybe the change in our direction will lead to a change in our reflection. Can we just take our eyes and say, you know what God, I'm gonna put that aside. My health, my finances, my marriage, my job. I'm just gonna concentrate on you and tell you in my heart how much I love you. And give you, church, give you room to move in me today. Here's what this is. Give you, Daddy, I give you room. Jesus, I give you room to move in me today. And if it means I'm gonna raise my hands like I never raised them before, that means I'm gonna actually give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to move in me, even though I've never given him that before. Whatever it means, just say, Daddy, come and have your way. Your kingdom, your will. Well, I'm so glad you're here. Can you give yourselves a hand, actually, for getting up and being here? In the start of the summer in Jersey. I know last week started the summer in Jersey, which is always the truth. The shore was crazy. I live on the way to the shore. So my 35-minute drive to my house is like three and a half hour drive to my house now. It's crazy. But I'm just glad, look, I'm glad you got up this morning. You, you're halfway there. You, you got up. You showed up. You used the breath that you had to praise Him. You're there. It's a good day. And I'm thankful that you're here. So thank you. Danielle and I love you guys. If this is your first or second time here at Connect, we want to welcome you. Thank you for coming, being our guest today. It's so good to have you in the house. Have you in our living room here. This is what it's all about. How do we live life well together? And if you are a guest, look, uh, you'll find up on the screens. There's a QR code up there. If you want to just know a little bit more about who we are, that takes you right to a link. But don't just find out a little bit more about us. Let us help. Help us find out a little bit more about you. We want to actually learn how to do this life together. Because I don't know about you, but it's hard doing it on my... Anybody else try to do it on their own? It's hard. We need each other. We really do. I'm really glad that you're here. You know what? We believe in generations in this church, and we are thankful for those who actually pour into them. So, kiddos, if you could follow out Mr. Vito the side Pastor Kevin can we give them a hand as they're going church thank you everybody who's actually back already serving loving giving and as you're being seated turn to somebody you didn't come with give them a high five tell them it's good to see them tell them it's great to have them in the house today sweating already. Come on, somebody. It's good. Somebody came in and said, can you turn up the air conditioning? And I said, no, because I am sweaty. Bring a jacket. You know what I'm saying? I know. People are like, I'm cold. Bring bring a coat. There's an answer to that. I'm under lights. There's no answer for this. Hey, uh, man, I just want to say it's good to have uh, Adrian Hernandez in the house today. Age, we love you. Adrian and John were pastors on our team here for years. Uh, they went out to start TKC in Indianapolis, uh, and they're just doing incredible. They're crushing it out there. I'm a little jealous. They're crushing it out there. I'm so proud of you. It's good to have you here. We love you. We miss you so much. Uh, their, their family is incredible. They really are. So pray for TK here. Pray for Vacuum Kingdom Crumb out in Indy. God's doing incredible things by just sharing food with people because that's what we do. And part of what we do, just so if you want to know, if, this is, if you're newer to church or maybe you've been around church but haven't got plugged in really yet, one of the things that is essential that kind of that this church is built on in this season is helping people to live out the Word of God in a, in a real way with a real God in a real world. And that that actually takes not just a Sunday morning, it actually requires discipleship. Because Jesus didn't come to make kind of church goers. Church is important, but he he, he came to make us disciples. And so that's part of all that we want to help do. Build into your life. And we do that through two ways. We do it through men's and women's groups. Uh, our men's group is called Forged, and our, women's, uh, our ladies' groups are called uh, Shoulder to Shoulder. And uh, you can find those QR codes all over the church to, to give you more information about that. But it's just about how do we live out this. Life. You don't have to be a Bible scholar. I know some people are like, I don't really know the Bible, Pastor. I don't know if I can come. That's the reason you go. Because like for us as guys, we study, we're stud- we study a book. We, it's, a, it's one hour a week. Like, look, while you're, ge- while you're working on your tan, you can watch the video, right? You're out laying by the pool to bring your iPod, get your little phone out, watch the video for 15, 20 minutes, get into the Word. The men were going through the book of John, verse by verse, kind of trying to understand how to live this out and understand the majesty of who Jesus is. Because it's not knowing the Word, it's being transformed by the Word and falling in, wa- in love with the one who wrote the Word. So... Look, I want to really encourage you. If, if you haven't really to consider over the summer, hopping in. You don't have to start from the beginning. Just hop in. There's plenty of groups. getting I'm going to be a preacher for a minute. When you're getting the light on the outside, you can get some light on the inside. How's that, right? So when you're out in the sun, get some light on the outside, get some light on the inside, getting forwards, getting shoulder to shoulder. That is my advertisement for today. Are we all right? Good. We got one more thing I want to do. I want to honor Pastor Ron and Irene, look, um, Irene, Pastor Irene can't be here today, but it is their 30th wedding anniversary, 30 years. Can you guys stand with me and honor Pastor Ron and Pastor Irene for everything that they've given, all that they've sown in, the faithfulness to this house. We love you, bro. Pastor Irene, we are shouting for you as well. Man, they are the Aaron and Her of this place. They hold up things you'll never even know. They are faithful and true friends. We we just said, we, 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 we met them like just a few weeks after they got married. So we've been friends for 30 years. There's something about a friend, the faithfulness of a friend that'll stand with you through the trials of life. The good, the bad, the ugly, we've seen it all together. But we're still standing together. And there had to be forgiveness at times, come on somebody. And there had to be an overlooking of offenses, And there had to be patience while we changed and grew, but that's what relationship in the house of God looks like. It's not perfect from the beginning, but it will be perfect at the end. What a party we're going to have. But 30 years, bro, couldn't be prouder of you. Amazing. Well, are you guys ready for the word? I'm ready for the word today. Hey, since you have your Bible, why don't you open with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 3. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's written by Matthew, who is a disciple of Jesus. He was a tax collector, um, which is really good news because it means that it doesn't really matter where you start with God that God's only interested in loving you, just you. He just loves you. He wants to bring you along in this relationship with you. And I've been talking for a little while about the church, us. When I talk about the church, it's not an uh, esoteric institution. It's us, because this is who we get to be, the church. Waking up, and not just waking up, but responding out of that awakeness. And so for the next two weeks, I want to talk about something. I want to talk about how we respond and the context we use to respond. How do we determine what is the right way to respond to our world around us? Because context matters. So if you're looking for our title today's message, it's put it into context. Put it into context. Have you ever received a text without context to it? Doesn't that frustrate you? Like one of these texts. You good? Now, I think I know what they're asking, right? Are you doing okay? But then, I'm not sure. Then I start to think, I don't know. Do they know something I don't know? Did something bad happen that I haven't heard of yet? Is there something wrong in my life that I don't know about? Am I okay? Right, because context matters. If I say, you're, cool, you're cold, context determines my response, It determines whether I'm going to go get you a coat or whether I know I ain't ever going to double cross this brother because, you know what I'm saying? He's coat. No, I ain't going to do it. Context matters. Context matters both because both can be true, but how we respond to that person can be vastly different depending on the context. It's the same way, my friends, with our spiritual lives. The context in which we see God, how we see uh, our role as a disciple, how we determine our priorities, how we determine how to interact with the ra- world around us, how we make our daily decisions, all of it is determined by our context through which we review his text to us. See, God has sent us a text in the, in the, in the form of both his written word and his living word, who is Jesus, and how we actually view that word. The context in which we read it determines how we respond to life. And the challenge, I believe, for us in this modern world is whether or not we respond from a biblical context or a kingdom context. We talked a little bit about this last week. Just kind of threw that out there last week. They may sound the same, but they can create vastly different responses if we're not careful. Why is it so important that we understand what context we come to God with because the Bible says in Proverbs 23:7, as a man thinks in his heart so is he the way that you and I think about things leads to the way that we act upon things that's why Paul is so careful about Romans chapter 12 when he says if we're going to actually understand who God is and the will of God and the purpose of God we have to renew our minds but what do we renew our minds with is it just what we should do which is the letter of the law Or is it also, do we add to that, the why we should do it, which is the Spirit that gives life to the letter? That way, you and I get to be what Jesus called us to be, disciples who understand how to live in spirit and in truth. We're not outweighing one with the other. We're not saying we've got one and the other is disappearing. It is actually understanding what we talked about last week, how the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to clarify the truth that we read. We have to have both in our lives or the response of our life is going to be skewed. One of these things shows us how to feel right about a situation, but the other one reveals what righteousness looks like in a situation. See, the truth is, my friends, the context by which we renew our mind and meditate on the Word determines our interaction with our world and our adoration of our God. Now, let me just be clear, because I know in our world, Terms mean something. Everybody gets hooked up on terms. That term is wrong. let me just clarify what I mean when I say biblical context. When I'm talking about biblical context or modern biblical context, I'm talking about our generation's propensity to cherry-pick Bible verses, Bible themes, ideas, concepts, theologies, right? Mostly through which we like, right? Out of context most of the time. Basically, most of the ones that benefit us that we like, we stay away from the challenging ones, the ones that we really don't want to have to face. And from this, we create a biblical context. That biblical context enables us to respond to the world around us. Let me give you an example. Like, if I ask people what's their favorite Bible verse, many people say, Philippians 4.13, man, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And in in our world, it's like we're modern-day Christian superheroes, right, with his S on our chest. I can do all things, hallelujah. But the context of that verse is being in lack, being beaten, being unjustly imprisoned for the cause of Christ. That is a very different kingdom context. Then we have another fan favorite, like Romans eight twenty eight, right? God works all things together for good, pastor. That, that means that everything happens for a reason. If I have heard that once, I've heard it. A bit, everything happens for a reason. No, it doesn't. That means that God is amazingly good to you even when you're a knucklehead. Right? Because that, that view cr- assumes that things happen to us rather than by us. No. Our sin is not God, not God created. It's selfishness created. Then, by the way, we tend to leave off the end of that verse which says all things work together for good for those who love God. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll follow my commandments. And those who are called according to his purpose, not our purpose, not our generation's purpose, his purpose, which is kingdom purpose, which gets back to kingdom context. There you go. That's what we're seeing in this moment. In this text that we're going to look at here today, Jesus is getting ready. He's coming to be baptized by John, right? He's he's starting his public ministry, his march towards Calvary. And in this moment, he faces what we face when we're making these tough decisions. The clash of contexts. Which context will determine the response Jesus takes? Hopefully, when we see some of this, we'll see how we can respond differently. Because all of us, by the way, all of us come to these moments. This isn't about baptism. Baptism. This is about every moment of submission, every opportunity that we have where the context of our life could cause us to think we're right or to live out righteousness. And those two things, what we'll see, are vastly different. The Word of God says this in John, Matthew 3, 13. And by the way, this is really going to cha- Look, we're going to do this over two weeks because this is going to challenge us. If you've, been a, if, you've, if you've been in church for a while, I hope and pray that you pray through this. Because this is what is challenging my life. And it challenges believers every day. These are realities. If it, if it, if it faced Jesus, it's going to face us. The Bible says this in verse 13. Then Jesus came to Gal- from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented it. What? Saying, I need to be baptized by you. Is he wrong? No. But Jesus answered him, let it be so uh, now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. Then he consented. We're going to get to that. But that's crazy. The first response is, Jesus, I hear you, no. The first, let me just say this about Jesus, which is, which is where we are in our lives. This is a day of decision for Jesus. He had lived 30 years building family, building a career. He was a carpenter, doing many other things as well. He had friends. He lived a life. But right here in this moment, he came to this one day where he had to decide whether or not he was going to live out and live for the Father's purposes. Today, you'll come to that same decision sometime. Somewhere in your day to day, you will come to a decision in your life where you have to decide in this conversation, in this text message, in this opportunity to be offended, in this response to a family member, how how am I going to respond? Now, just so that you know, he's 30 years old before he does this because in their time and in Scripture in Leviticus 23, it says a priest had to be 30 years before he could be authorized. And so they wouldn't have recognized him because, remember, he tore it up when he was 12. He didn't need to wait. This wasn't about gifting, but some of us need to learn that. Some of us rush our gifting. Ah, that's a different day. I'm just going to move on. But he waited, why? Because it was the Father's purpose. It wasn't his promotion, it was the Father's purpose. It's the fa- it's the fa- There's a Father's purpose in the conversation you're going to have. There's a Father's purpose in that opportunity to be offended. There's a Father's purpose in you not being promoted. There's a-, There's a Father's purpose. But Jesus knew that this was his first step to Calvary. Yet he did it with joy and peace, right? Hebrews 12, 2. It was for the joy set before him he endured the, the cross, suffering and shame. It wasn't without pain, it wasn't without problems, but he still did it with joy. Why? Because he had the kingdom of God in mind. He was all about proclaiming the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 says, He went through all all the towns and all the villages, went to every synagogue, doing what? Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus had a kingdom of God context for every decision he made it was a kingdom context matter of fact that verbiage kingdom of god kingdom of heaven is used 85 times in the gospels let alone all the other parables all the other texts explaining it jesus had a kingdom context every decision he was making came from a kingdom context that's why you hear jesus say all the time you've heard it said this but i say to you right he does that just 25 times in john alone You've heard it said, an eye for an eye. That's biblical. But Jesus says, turn the other cheek. He is not disqualifying a verse. He's clarifying a verse. You have the right to do something, even if it's not righteous. You get the right to do it, but righteousness does something else. Oh, how different I believe our society would be if church would realize, if we as men and women of faith would realize we have the right to to snap back at somebody. Come on. But is it the righteous thing to do? Not the right thing to do. The truth is, my friends, all of us come to these days and moments of decision. But the real question is, what's going to be our metric on how we make the decisions in an everyday moment? Because our, our decisions to follow or not follow God's purpose for our life is the core to intimacy with God. It's not the core to get into heaven. Heaven is settled at the cross. It's settled when we actually accept Jesus. But there is, it's the core to actually daily intimacy. And it has been from the very beginning. In every kingdom moment that God starts, He gives people a decision to make from the very beginning. Genesis 3, obey or not obey. When, when they come out of, the, out of the Egypt, into the wilderness, Deuteronomy 30, I put before you blessing and cursing, life and death, choose life. When they go into the kingdom of the, of, of, of the promised land, Joshua 24 says, who are you going to serve? As for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. When Jesus starts his kingdom, he says this in Matthew 16, 24, uh, if you want to be my, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to be my disciple, there's a choice. Then deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. See, every moment of intimacy with God starts with a decision to determine and respond to His purpose. This is why context is so important. Because our context determines our correction. It, it determines how we handle our temptation, our personal interactions, how we respond to an altercation, what we're willing to do in submission. Right? When a book editor gets a book... It's the context of the book that determines what they correct and what they submit. Same way with our lives. So the issue here that we see in this text is that John had a biblical view, a biblical context. He knew it was right for Jesus to baptize him. He knew Jesus should take precedence over him. But even in this, he still missed the kingdom context of the moment. So we can know... And still not respond correctly. We can know and still not be righteous in how we respond. And I think the challenge for us is that we can have the right biblical view and still miss the correct kingdom response to the opportunity that we have in the moment. But we can never have the right kingdom context and not have a proper biblical context. Because the kingdom is built on the Bible. The kingdom is built on the Word. The Word of God, the Bible, is the foundation. Jesus is the rock. His kingdom is built, and upon this rock, I shall build my church. The foundation of the kingdom is biblical. But we can be biblical and still not have any concept of a kingdom context. And the truth is, my friends, I'm not talking about simply reading the Bible in context we should do that already, right? In the context of the chapter, in the context of the, of the book that we're reading, in the context of the historical setting, in the context of the full counsel of the Word of God. But I'm talking about in the kingdom context. And the kingdom context is the heartbeat and the purpose of the author. It's how we can come to our days of decision. What is the heartbeat of the author towards the offense I'm facing? What is the heartbeat of the author towards the person who drives me crazy, was the heartbeat of the author when it comes to my marriage struggling. Was the heartbeat of the author. Because the trap in our pseudo-biblical generation is that modern believers, as modern believers, and all of us can fall into this trap if we're careful, tend to respond with a biblical context that is influenced by a cultural context our culture influences our biblical thought it did here with John John was Jesus's cousin they grew up around each other he knew him his entire life can you imagine how many times his mom must have said to John can't you be more like Jesus right do you know what kind of pressure that is right? I mean, he, he knew who Jesus was. Maybe he was even part of that caravan. Do you remember when Jesus, they, 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 they took him and they left him when he was 12 in the temple, and Jesus was just racking and he was just wrecking the Pharisees with all of his wisdom. I mean, can you imagine living up to that as the older cousin? Can't you be more like Jesus? All of his teachers, can't you be more like Jesus? He knew who Jesus was. See, my friends, our cultural context very often influences our biblical view, and it's a trap. But it's not a new trap. In John chapter 12, verse 42, the Bible says that there were many people in Jesus' time that believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but out of fear for the Pharisees and because they thought that they would be removed from the synagogue, they thought they would lose community, they thought they would be broken relationships, they backed off of actually following who Jesus is. Come on. They grew up in this context of fear and control. They they were bullied by the specter of being canceled. Does that sound familiar to anyone in this room? To step out of that context would put them in a danger of losing their identity and their acceptability within their given community. There was a danger. So the result was that their belief could never overtake their context because their context established their culture. As a man thinketh, so is he. Let's be honest. Those moments are the world we live in. This is what we struggle with every single day. Verse, we, we struggle with verses and truths that we struggle with because of how we were raised or our political views or because there's people in our family or in our friend groups who loudly oppose that biblical truth, or our generation who would never accept that we would, of what we would promote, we're right there. So how do we respond? Telling them what is right or living out righteousness? The context matters. Dee and I were just talking about this this week, it's just true. Like, I wish, we're talking about this fact, and maybe you're more holy than I am. But I was like, there are some verses in the Bible I wish weren't there. Anybody? Wouldn't it make life easier if there are some verses? And I'm not even talking about the big verses. I'm just talking about verses like, forgive people. I don't want to do that. Let alone, I don't want to do it 70 times 7. Are you crazy? I don't want to do this, love those who persecute me. I want to punch them in the throat. I want to snap back at them so I feel better. Oh, you all holy. No, what makes me not do it? Kingdom context. Because if we let this go, it will hinder our ability to move into a kingdom context with Jesus. Do you realize that the enemy even tried this with Jesus? Right after this moment, flip the page, Matthew 4, verse 5. He takes them up to the top of the temple. He says, oh, by the way, the Bible says, the word says, uh, you can. Uh, the angels have charge over you. They won't even let your foot get hurt. Go ahead and jump. He quotes the Bible. He's not wrong. It actually says that. He had a biblical context, but not a kingdom context. That's why Jesus responds in verse 7, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Don't test God. What is he saying? The kingdom context gives me a bigger picture to the biblical context because it helps me to understand I need to trust the Father, not test the Father. That's what the bigger concept is. And if this trap is not course-corrected by kingdom context, it can get us all sideways, it gets us actually missing how to live out and express righteousness in our world, which righteousness makes a difference. Here's the truth. Here's what I know. Here are some things that I think we all can struggle with if we're not careful in this moment. Because the issue can become we can warp truth, and truth can be warped, the word can be warped, into biblical nationalism. What do I mean by that? It's that where we wrap our scriptures in the flag of our country, of our culture, of our heritage, of our background, of how we were raised, of the church we used to come from, of the ways that we see life, the way our generation thinks. And I get this. Can I be honest? I get this. Because this one's hard for me. Because I grew up, and some of you know, some of you who are from the South, you understand, you grow up with a love for God and country. Like, 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 no, it's God and co- I love our country. I still do. So this concept of wrestling with this hits me deeply. I love our Christian heritage, but this can get muddy and murky. Because not only does it allow my political views to come and play with how I view Scripture in context. Come on, somebody. But it makes everyone who does not see things the way I see things be the enemy and there's only one real enemy it's the prince of darkness it's the god of this age of the political systems of this world of ideologies he it's the one it's the thief that comes to kill steal and destroy it's the one who dresses up like a lion cuz he can't be one because there's only one lion the lion of the tribe of judah but he comes to destroy but we see people who don't see scripture the way we scripture see scripture as the enemy Which is problematic when the kingdom concept calls us to love our neighbors. To provide for the foreigner, whether there's a wall or not. To seek unity. To restore justice to all. But that is hard to do when we see the foreigner or the neighbor or the person who lives out a lifestyle different than ours as the enemy. And we often overlook this one true hard fact. And I'm just going to say this for a moment. Here's the reality. It's hard. The Bible doesn't talk about America. America is not God's country of destiny. It doesn't mention it. It doesn't tell us that capitalistic democracy is God's plan for humanity. Or any other political or ideological system, by the way. And if we really want to be... Kingdom and biblical, Zechariah 14, verse 2 says, At the end times, all nations will war against Israel. All means all. That means us. Kingdom context. That is biblical nationalism. But we don't just see it in our own. This is an American thing, happened in the early church. Acts chapter 6, right after the church starts. Acts chapter, do you want to know one of the first problems in the church? Jewish nationalism. The Bible says that they they were feeding Jewish widows and were neglecting Hellenistic Greek widows. Why? Because they didn't believe in feeding widows? No, they knew the Bible because of Jewish nationalism. That's why we need to correct it in order to manifest righteousness. That's why when Peter was not eating with Gentile believers, Paul had to go correct him to his face. Why? Because he had a biblical nationalist view that Paul said, you got to stop it. It's not righteousness. This is my belief. This is my belief, okay? Say this is Pastor Kyle's belief. This is my belief. I believe it was a major factor in why Judas betrayed Jesus, Because Judas is a zealot, which means that his whole goal in life was to get Rome out. So when Jesus was not doing what Judas thought he should do as the Messiah, he betrayed Jesus. His biblical nationalism of what his Messiah should be kept him from seeing the Messiah that was right in front of him. And that is the danger for you and I. It affects our compassion of the broken, our interactions with others, and even our adoration of our King. And it will always cause us to protect and pursue the wrong kingdom any political system is a kingdom of this world it's a kingdom that is opposite of our kingdom Mm. do you know how hard this is for me to say like if you've been around church at all like i bought a house that's built in 1771 because that's who i am like i'm like that's right we kicked out the british that's right Bunch of farmers with pitchforks. Come on, somebody. But this ain't wrong. Maybe that's not your deal. But maybe you've fallen into the trap of warping the truth by biblical individualism, which is such a it's, it's, it's such a rampant in our society today when we determine the context by how we individually feel about it, or by who our Jesus is or who our Jesus should be. That's not just our generation, that happened historically. John chapter eight, the Bible says they caught the Pharisees caught a woman, brought a woman, caught in adultery, and they threw it before Jesus to test Jesus out. Why? Because they were using this situation to biblically prove who their Messiah should be, how their Messiah should act, and they didn't want to get their community, they didn't want to give the community the wrong idea of who the Messiah was, and by proxy, the wrong idea of who they were by the Messiah. How often do we respond? Because we don't want people to think that we would think that way? Hmm, you're not alone. It's right here. Here's the truth. Jesus was not ignorant of the the biblical verse that said she should be stoned. He wrote it. He knew it. But the kingdom context reminds us that the law was given to reveal what we could not do and could not be without the goodness and the grace of God in our lives. The kingdom context understood that the wages of sin should be death, but the death that she was due would be paid by Jesus. See, he was willing to change her life by the giving of himself. That's what kingdom context does. It helps us to see how someone else's life, can be changed not by them changing but by how we change towards them so often when we rest on our mere biblical context it causes us to look for the other person to change in order to meet our standard but kingdom context confronts us with the question what does the word ask of us what does God ask for us to do in order to be a part of the answer in other words, my friends, how, how do I love God and love people in such a way as to be part of the opportunity, the answer to this opportunity? Isn't this what the king of righteousness did and what he said? Isn't it what he exampled to us when he said, I didn't come to be served but to serve, to give my life away as a ransom for others? This, my friends, is what righteousness is. This is what the kingdom looks like. It's about living and loving in such a way as to be part of the answer. I fully fully believe that the greatest gift, one of the greatest gifts that you and I can give to our world is submission to kingdom context. Because it was submission to the kingdom, uh, to, submission to the dominion of the kingdom of God that Jesus examples in this moment in his decision, not just at baptism, but with this woman as well. Which, by the way, this is, this is what righteousness is, because righteousness is the outworking of the dominion of the king's domain. That's what a kingdom is the outworking of the dominion of the domain everything that is the king's functions under the domain of the king the dominion of our king is righteousness that's why the bible says in romans 14:7 the kingdom of god is not about what we should eat and what we shouldn't eat how we should dress and how we shouldn't dress can you wear makeup or not wear makeup Are jeans okay or not okay do we sing hymns or or hill songs what what do we do the, the kingdom of god the bible says is about righteousness peace joy in the holy spirit it's about righteousness, peace. There's joy in the Holy Ghost. There's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. Hey! Righteousness. No, no, see here's the problem with that. I learned that on a, uh, on a mission trip to Jamaica, so in my head there's a Jamaican accent with that. That's what I hear. That's not what you're going to hear, but you probably are going to hear it now in your head. The rea- that's the reality. See, the woman who was caught in adultery was brought before Jesus and they wanted to do what they thought was biblical, which was the stoner. But Jesus responded from kingdom dominion because he saw things from a kingdom context. And because he saw things from the kingdom concept, the king got down in the dirt with her. Come on, church, what a God we serve. What a God we serve. What a king. This is what the king and the kingdom should do. Matter of fact, this is what we see God do from the very beginning. This isn't our first time seeing this moment. The first thing God ever did, the first interaction God ever had with humanity as he started his own kingdom on earth was to get down, Genesis 1, into the dirt and get his hands dirty with humanity. This is the example of what the kingdom of God does it doesn't it's not above them to judge them it actually humbles itself to get in the dirt to elevate someone else at its own expense so yes do we have to eat some humble pie sometimes Yup. do we have to be silent yep do we have to learn how to love people in a real way that just drive us crazy yes because that's what the kingdom does the beauty of that moment by the way is that the king remained silent instead of responding piously. Because the kingdom context enabled him to see the heartbeat of God towards the sinner took precedence over the religious response to sin. What we see in in this verse in John 8 is these two contexts working in tandem together. He responds biblically that she should be stoned. But then he responds with a kingdom context that says, any of y'all who are without sin, you go ahead and throw it. It was the clarity of the one that brings wholeness from the other. So what do they do? They all drop the rocks. Because all of us have something to remember that if we remembered in those moments would cause us to drop our rocks. The problem is somehow we get instantaneous amnesia as if we've never offended anybody. I, don't, I, can't, I can't believe they text that to me. I don't know. Go back in your text chain. I can't believe they did that, said that, went there. Uh-huh. We have amnesia. We better learn how to drop our rocks. Because isn't that what Jesus did? The rock came down so that grace could flow out. The rock came down so that grace could flow out. The ro- We got to drop the rock so that grace can flow out. The rock of God could have fallen and smashed us and crushed us. Romans 6, 23 says the wages of sin is death, but Jesus saw the kingdom, through our lives, through the kingdom context. He understood what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3, 9, that God isn't slow in pouring out judgment. He is just patient because he doesn't want any of us to perish. He wants everybody to come to repentance. So he created the opportunity for righteousness to respond. What does the word say that I have to do to be a part of that answer? Maybe, just maybe, the most dangerous and prevalent of these traps in our modern world is biblical Phariseeism. This is where we build the context of Christianity on the basis of scriptures that we thrive in or that we don't struggle with. But we love to highlight those scriptures that elevate us above those others that are in sin. Oh, don't get me wrong. We know that we sin, but they're in sin. Pastor, you got to understand, I know I sin. But they're in sin. Mm. So sorry. You're so holy. Can you elevate and fly around the room now? I saw uh, in a community chat. This is true. This is what makes it horrible. I was looking at a community chat the other day online. Um, and it was, about this, it was about flowers in a town flowers in a town. How one town's flowers were nicer than another town's flowers and how they wished that their town's flowers would be nicer than the other town's flowers. Somewhere in this chain, it made a hard left. I don't know how, but it started talking about stuff that was not flowers. And it was, And then all the, claw, the Christian claws came out, baby. And then the response after response after response, yeah, but you got to understand. God hates sin he just doesn't hate the sinner I can hate sin and just not hate the sinner let me just say this he can you can't he can and he does he does hate sin it's biblical he does not hate the sinner it is biblical but the reality is, we can't because we are broken, messed up, and mostly missing a kingdom context. So let me, let's just put this in big picture. God can do this because God is love that has no limits. Here you can't get around it. The Bible says you can't get under it. You can't get over it. You got to find yourself in it. This is a God whose grace has no boundaries. Romans five twenty says, "When your sin abounds, His grace." Hyper abounds. That Greek word hyper means multiplies. That means when you add, God multiplies. You'll never get around that. He is always the ever-living Lamb of God whose blood washes us white as snow. He throws our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. We have memories like elephants. He's the judge who wrote the law that demanded death for sin while at the same time was the Father who offered up His Son to forgive that sin. He is the God that makes rain fall on the just and the unjust who knows every name of every star in every universe. His mercy is so thick it blocks the bars of hell. That God can. But us to have that attitude, us to give ourselves that leeway, Where I feel like I can hate something and feel like it won't rub off on the people who do it. I got to work through, we have to work through all these offenses that we have. Throughout all of our lives, all the hurts, all the disappointments, all the bitterness, all of our inherent prejudice and bias, our own insecurity, our pride, our piety, our sense of being better than them and wouldn't have ever. And I can't believe they did. How do I know this is true? Because every time a Christian leader falls, the daggers come out. And I'm not talking about in the world. I'm talking about they come out in church. But the kingdom is about remembering all the grace it requires for me just to take a breath today. Not one breath. Every breath I take, remember the amount of grace that you have to have for God. Not to just disassemble your atoms in an instant. And then work from that place. Here's the truth. Jesus never commanded us to hate anything. Read the word. But he does command us and says they will know you're my disciples by how you love people. So here's my thought. It doesn't mean we have to accept everything as being true and we don't have to approve everything that people do. do. But how about we manifest some love? How about when we have finally exhausted The agape, unconditional, unloving, uh, unending, unfathomable depth of God's love towards people. Then, after we've done all that, we can try to figure out what our next step is. How about we do that first? Since that is the kingdom. Oh, you can be right. That action's wrong. You can be right. That person's a sinner. You can be right. God hates that thing. You can be right. And still not respond to righteousness. Finally, just as we close, the text tells us that the way to break this cycle and get out of the trap is that John finally consented. I love this this word. This is crazy to me. He comes and says, I'm going to prevent Jesus from doing what God has called him to do because I have the right biblical view. Then it says he consented, which, by the way, the Greek word means to give permission from a superior to an inferior. It says, I feel, still feel superior. Now, I don't believe that John ever felt superior to Jesus in any way because he always affirms that he's not. But maybe he had a sense of having the superior position in the discussion. How many times have we believed we've had the superior position? The superior argument in the discussion. So we dug in our heels. We took that tone. We looked down our nose. We looked a little side eye at that person. And we even do it with God. But Jesus said that would have prevented righteousness from manifesting. Right sounding argument with a wrong resulting outcome. Because we need a biblical context within a kingdom context and the challenge is my friends our biblical context wants us to keep talking about what is right about being right but i'm right but i'm right but i'm right that's what john was doing but it's right it's right for me to have you baptize me it's right for me it's right it's right it's right and he was doing it to God, Just like we do it to God as well. But we are talking about responding, not in being right, but about being righteous. In righteousness. This is what Jesus was trying to get John to. See, my friends, when we can, we can be right and still not act in righteousness, that is what is happening here. John is right. Jesus should baptize him. But it would not allow all righteousness to take place. That's what we're going to talk about next week. How do we let all righteousness take place in our lives? How do we allow that righteousness to manifest in our daily decisions towards others, towards God, towards each other, towards the people that we want to choke out, snap back at, write off, overlook, look down our nose upon? How do we do what Jesus tells us to do? Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God, and we'll usually stop there because we say seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you, but that's not what the Bible says. Seek first the kingdom and righteousness, righteousness, not being right. You've heard it said, eye for an eye. It's biblical. But I say to you, turn the other cheek. It's kingdom. You've heard it say, forgive three times. But I say to you, Peter, seven times isn't enough. It's 70 times seven. Because you're right. You shouldn't have to forgive people that many times. But righteousness is the domain of our king and what he does for us. We channel to others at our own cost. We like him get down in the dirt. We're not above them to judge them. We get down in the dirt with them. We get our hands dirty. Jesus never once told the woman what she did was right. He never approved her lifestyle. He just loved the one who had lived it. He says those words, I wonder how those words would change people in our world if we would say them too. Where is everyone else who condemns you? They're gone. I don't condemn you either. Get up, go live in freedom. I don't condemn you either. What would that person in the LGBTQ community feel like if they actually heard you actually say that to them? A person who is transgender. A person who's struggling with alcoholism. I'll tell you a story next week about a conversation I had with a man who blamed all of our problems in our world on the people who struggle with drugs in Kensington. The reason that A hose is expensive in Home Depot is because of drug addicts in Kensington. How different would it be if you simply didn't say you're wrong in the way you're living. Just look them in the eye, got down on their level. I don't condemn you either. I don't don't need to approve your lifestyle. But I ain't condemning you either. My king will get in your dirt. My king will get in your dirt. My king will get in your dirt. My king will get his hands dirty with you. Let's go, let's walk this out. Church, how different would it be? I don't know which one you struggle with. Maybe you don't struggle with any of them. But I know every day and in every way, these things attack me from every direction. Your choice today, biblical or kingdom, thinking you're right or being right. Here's our choice. Like John, we can either consent and repent or we can be pious and live in our bias. We can consent and repent because we've done it, we did it wrong, or we can be pious and live in our bias and never let the kingdom of righteousness change our world as for me and my house we're going to seek after the king you want to know what it connects about there it is I'll get my hands dirty with you I promise you I ain't scared of anything you're going through there's not one sin you could tell me that I haven't heard already and one thing that you're thinking about, going through, doing that I probably haven't thought about, did, been around someone who did it. So what? You don't live in guilt and shame your whole life? When the king came so that I could have life and life more abundantly? Don't let the devil lie to you. Well, the Bible says you shouldn't have done that. Yep, the Bible also says it's for freedom that Christ came to set me free. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. See, you should die. Yeah, yeah, but read the rest of that verse, devil. It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Jesus Christ. All right. Let's pray. Let's get to it. Your call, your moment with God. We're going to take a moment. Your moment with God. I'm going to pray at the end of this, but you, you see God right now. I know the Holy Spirit was stirring in you during some of this. What do you need to repent from? What do you need to consent to? Come, Holy Spirit, come. As it is and is to come. Today, right here, right now, this is one of those moments that John faced. Will I realize that even the way I've been responding to Jesus, even though I'm right and wasn't really right today I want to give him my life all of it I'm in I'm in for the kingdom I'm in for the kingdom cause maybe you're here today and you can just say man to be honest I, 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 I've, been, I've been in church for a long time I've grew up around these things but I, I've let so much pollute my mind pollute my soul pollute my spirit that's right my God is the God of grace and of second chances today's your day Today's your day just of saying to Jesus, I'm all in. I'm holding nothing back. I'm not, even re- I'm not only recognizing you as my Savior, but as my King. And because you're my King, I want to live in your kingdom. I want to live for your kingdom righteousness. I want your dominion to be moved in my life and through my life. And I want others to experience that righteousness all around me so that they can be set free as well. Today. Today's your day. Maybe you've never prayed and asked Jesus to be Lord of your life. The Bible simply says this, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he died for you and rose again, that's enough. That's when salvation comes in. So then we can work from that place of salvation to work out the salvation of God into the world around us. But all we have to do is call upon his name. And today we'll be saved. So I'm going to pray and I'm just going to ask you to pray with me as we pray. Maybe this is your first time asking Jesus to be Lord and Savior. Or maybe you've been wandering. Maybe you've let some of this cloud, uh, cloud your thinking, clouds your spirit. Today's the day, like John, to consent and repent. Come back home and give Jesus the right to every aspect of your life. But whatever it is, this is your conversation with God. So just pray with me. Just say, Dear Lord Jesus, here I am today. I've come to give you all of my life. I'm holding nothing back. I'm asking you, Jesus, to be my Savior and to be my King. I want to live in the fullness of your kingdom. Use me to be a vessel to bring your righteousness, your joy, and your peace into the world around me. Forgive me for every time. I've missed the mark. Fill me with your spirit that I may live in spirit and truth so I can give you glory in everything I say, in everything I do, in everything I allow. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, can we give God some glory? Just for a moment, we thank you, Jesus. That you are the God of second and third and 333rd chances in Jesus' name. Woo! Hey church, thank you for letting me share that with you today. Truly one of these moments that if we allow, if we meditate on it, if we allow the Spirit to actually bring light to some areas that we have convinced ourselves we're good in, it'll actually set us free. You've got a shot next week of coming back freer next week than you've ever been in your life. Because there's been lies you've believed. There's been traps that you've been ensnared to. And there's been prison doors you've been try- that you've been behind trying to work out of. And today the Bible says, "I've come to set the captive free." Well, I love you. I'm going to have Pastor Ron come and end service today. He's going to pray over you in just a second. He's going to encourage you in your gifts and your giving. And I'm so thankful for this man because I know every time that I start to get sideways. Come on, do you know pastors can get sideways? It's just true. I, I let things, all of us, sh- that's why, that's why God gives, if you're a man, that's why God gives you a wife. Amen, hallelujah. My wife helped shift me sometimes. She's like, we, we had to, like two years ago, we had this conversation, she, she brought out the Bible. She put the Bible in front of me. She said, show me where democracy is in that Bible. Show me where the Bible says it's okay to rebel against your authority. Show me. I said, don't be messing with my history. But I can't be up here and say that I allow the Bible to shape my view and not be confronted when the Bible is not shaping my view. I'm going to shut up. Come back next week. Pastor Ron, come on. Give Pastor Ron a hand
2: thank as you. he's coming. I just wanted to take a moment to thank Pastor Kyle as well because, you know, he and Pastor Danielle are committed to help us understand sometimes we view things through culture right and they're here they're always breaking down what culture says through scripture and allows allowing us to see what the bible says how we should live through a kingdom culture through a kingdom mindset so let's thank pastor kyle for that pastor danielle for that they're always bringing that kind of truth and understanding to our lives and as you can uh, t- as pastor kyle said Now's the time for giving of our tithes and offerings. Up on the screens, uh, you'll find a QR code that you can point your camera to uh, to take you to the uh, website that would allow you to give online. You can also give with the offering envelopes that are nearby your seats there. There's some pens there as well. And you can drop them in the kiosk on your way out the door today. Um, And also you can uh, give through CCB as well online when you're not here. And you could give at any time because that would be great. (laughs) So thank you so much. You know, and Pastor Kyle, thank you again for honoring uh, my wife and I today. It is our 30th um, anniversary uh, on tomorrow. And I could tell you that we couldn't be here today celebrating this time if we weren't plugged into the kingdom, if we weren't part of the house, if we weren't part of um, receiving this kind of teaching and, and benefits for our lives. You know, there's been plenty of times where my wife and I have had conflict, but, you know, that's what Scripture says, iron sharpens iron, and then we go to the Word and we allow the Word to, to speak to us and allow us to allow that to form our decisions and the way that we live and one of those ways in which we live is being part of the community, right? And part of being a member of the community is to invest into it, and that's why God created the tithe. He said bring the first fruits into the house, so into the storehouse so that it could be used for the benefits of those as a part of the kingdom, right? So my son could grow up and get the understanding of Scripture through the youth ministry and and so that my family could be blessed. So I could be blessed as being part of Forged to see my life changed by the Scripture. and, And my wife could also be part of that. And yesterday, you know, we had a little health scare, so that's the reason why my wife couldn't be here today. We're actually at the hospital all day um, and she's doing much better. Thank you. She received treatment. So I want to just take a moment to thank people because without the community, like we would have felt all alone. You know, you, I, I'm sure many of you have been in an emergency room and you know, you're sitting there waiting. You're worried. What's happening to me? What, how am I going to get treatment? But you know, we had people saying, I'm praying for you. Anything you need, let me know. You know, her shoulder-to-shoulder group, they were all praying. Our friends and family were all praying. We felt that support. And part of it is how we invest into the community here. So let's let's think about that and, and take that step, as Pastor Kyle talked about. A decision takes a step, takes an action. So let's do that today, church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray not only for the offering, but just pray uh, for our, the word that we received and the rest of the day. Thank you, Lord God. Father, we love you. We receive the word that you've given to us today. And so we take a decision to look in your word beyond the cultural filter we may have, beyond the pharisaical filter we may have and just look to you and your holy spirit to really guide our steps and help us to look through your filter of love toward others we love you we thank you that we're part of a great community that you've brought us together in we thank you that iron sharpens iron we thank you that you'll use the gifts that we give to you today to further your kingdom to advance your kingdom, to touch more lives through your love and grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, church. We're so glad you joined us today. Have a great Sunday.